Oh, hello everyone, and welcome to this edition of the Wisdom on Wheels podcast. It is really, really good to be with you today, and one of those reasons is because last time we completed our study of Genesis chapters 1 and 2. That's right, we are done with 1 and 2. And it took us four weeks. It was 20 days worth of study, but we did them all. And uh, I hope you got a lot out of that. So today we're going to begin the next portion of the book of Genesis, which is chapters 3 through 11. Genesis chapters 3 through 11. This is Genesis part 2 of our study. Genesis 3 through 11. And we're going to be studying the fall of man, Noah's flood, and what became of the nations after the flood. That would be things like the Tower of Babel and everything before that, and the genealogies and where they migrated to and all that stuff. So, Genesis 1 and 2 took us a total of four weeks to get through Genesis chapters 3 through 11 we're going to take seven weeks to get through that is not a chapter a week because there's actually nine chapters total for 3 through 11 that we're going to be studying but it's going to take us seven weeks or seven weeks of five days which would be 35 days to get through Genesis part 2 so I'm very excited about this. We're starting a new thing, and anytime you start a new thing, unless it's bad, but anytime you start a new thing, it's worth celebrating. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're celebrating the beginning of a new section in the book of Genesis. So, with that in mind, we are going to turn in our study booklet, or I'm the only one that has a Precept Ministries study booklet maybe perhaps for this i don't know for sure and what is all that stuff going on outside hang on one moment here let me see what's happening with that okay so it looks like we're all doing okay with that i don't know what that sound was but i'm back now so now we're gonna begin lesson one of genesis chapters 3 through 11 and that one is called how did evil come into the world? So that's what we're going to be studying all this week, is how evil came into the world. Because if God created the world, and God is good, then how did evil come into this world? It's a legitimate question that a lot of people raise, and thankfully it's not left unanswered. God doesn't leave it unanswered. The Bible answers the question of how evil came into the world. If God is good, and if he created man perfect, supposedly, as the Bible says, then how did we get evil? The Bible answers that question. And that's where we're going to begin our study of Genesis chapters 3 through 11. And as we dig into Genesis 3, we need to make sure that we're studying it it's a very critical chapter. I mean, it is one of the most, it's 
probably, arguably is, well, I'm not going to say the most, because I would argue that the, the chapters about the crucifixion, resurrection of Christ are probably the most critical chapters. But definitely, this uh, chapter 3 provides the reason for why the sacrifice of Christ in the New Testament is so critical to all of mankind. So we need to make sure that we're studying Genesis 3 in the context of the setting of the first two chapters of Genesis. And so as we're doing that, let me turn to my proper thing here. We're going to see, since we're going to see if we're going to study this in... It, since we're going to study this in context of 1 and 2, it would behoove us to go back and see what we remember from Genesis 1 and 2. And uh, I would encourage you for this part, don't refer to your notes. And le well, let me say it this way. If you've listened to every one of these podcasts of Genesis 1 and 2, or almost all of them, don't refer back to your notes and, and any of that. If you're new to this, then you're excused from that. But it might be fun just to see what we can remember, see what we absorbed from our study of Genesis Part 1 in Chapters 1 and 2. And then after we finish that, we can uh, go back and look and see what we were unable to remember. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask um, some questions, and then I'm going to like pause for like three seconds. And then I'll answer it myself, and then move on to the next question. If you want to pause, if you want to pause this as I ask the question, that way you can try to you know think of the answer on your own, and I don't give it away before you've had a chance to think about it. That would be fine, and you don't have to you know we're not reporting your grades or anything. This isn't a this isn't a class. You're not being graded on it. This is just a fun little exercise to see what you remember. So. As we begin, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord means Master. Um, Lord, in the Greek, is Kyrios, which means Master. You are our Kyrios, or Kyrios. And I, and those of us listening to you who belong to you, are your doulos, or your slaves. And so, Master, we come before you right now in your name because of what you've done for us on the cross. And we ask you, Lord Jesus, to, to bless our study today. I ask the Holy Spirit that he would illuminate our understanding, aid our memories, and show us the truth that you would have to us, for us this very day. In this very moment, may you speak to each of our hearts individually, Holy Spirit, with a message for each of us today. We commit ourselves to you as we study what we're about to study, which is the reason for why you had to come and sacrifice yourself on the cross. And it is your name, Lord Jesus that we pray to the Father. Amen.
All right, now. Spiritual truth is spiritually discerned, so that's why it's important that we pray like that when we begin a study like this. So, from our study of chapter 1, who are the persons mentioned in chapter 1? Now, this is a good time for you to pause. Um, just take some time to uh, think here. Who are the persons that are mentioned in chapter 1? Three, two, one. The people mentioned in chapter 1 are God the Father, or Yahweh is his proper name. And of course the other members of the Trinity, we had the Holy Spirit and uh, Jesus, were all part of the creation as we studied. I count them as one because they are the three in one, they are the Trinity. So God, Elohim, is the first person. And then the other two people mentioned are Adam and Eve. Our next question is, what was created on day one? Three, two, one. What was created on day one was the heavens and the earth, and light was also created on day one, which we discovered through our study of relevant New Testament passages uh, and cross-references that Jesus Christ was the light that began to shine. He He's eternally existed, but when God said, let there be light or light be, he was telling the light of Jesus to shine. It's kind of like, we can't, okay, let, let, me, let me explain it this way. We can't go anywhere where God is not. Okay, so when somebody's in hell, um, all the attributes of God have been removed from it. Jesus still existed. He existed for all of eternity. He existed before creation. So when God said, let there be light, and we find out from our study in the New Testament that the light was Jesus, that doesn't mean Jesus was created on day one, because he was the one doing the creating. What it means... is that he no longer withheld the shining of his light on the creation. So that's what was created on day one. That was the heavens and the earth, or said another way, the universe. And the light of Jesus was permitted to shine on creation by the command of the Father. Next question. What was created on day two? Three, two, one. What was created on day two was a firmament. Or an expanse. Or a vault, however your translation defines it. And we looked up the Hebrew definition of that word, which was rakia, or rakia, from what I remember. <clears throat> and that was an expanse 
that separated the waters that were above the expanse from the waters which were below the expanse or the firmament. And we talked about during our study about how that was a water vapor, there was a water vapor, like a, a canopy of a water vapor that was part of our atmosphere before Noah's flood. And how that was, um, so the world conditions were a lot different when God created them than they are today because that water vapor canopy is no longer shielding our earth from the sun's rays and filtering out all that and we also briefly talked about how world conditions and how they would have been so different at the time how that contributed to the great ages in which some people lived as we will study in this particular portion of Genesis in the weeks to come so that's what was created on day two And God called the expanse heaven or sky. There's three heavens in scripture. There is the first heaven, which is the atmospheric heaven. That's what we see when we look up and what's part of our earth. Then the second heaven is what we would call outer space. Um, what's um, like the SpaceX stuff with the ship that just, you know, flying, you know, and the outer space, you know, space, the final frontier, like uh, Captain Kirk and Captain Picard used to say and all that, and Star Trek. That is, uh, oh, all three cats are coming on the table to say hello. They want to be part of this study too, don't you? Yeah, all you guys want to study Genesis with us, don't you? Yeah. So we have the first heaven, which is the atmospheric heaven. That is our, uh, be nice, Ginger, don't be mean to Gabby. Um, we have the first heaven, which is the atmospheric heaven or the sky. We have the second heaven, which is outer space. And then we have the third heaven, which is where God resides. That's when we talk about somebody going to heaven after they die. That is the heaven that we're referring to. In that, um, in that particular... Those are, those are the three heavens. So when it says God created the heavens and the earth, that's what it's referring to. And so that atmospheric heaven was part of what was created on day two. The heavens and the earth is what was created on day one. So now day three, what was created on day three? That's our next question is what was created on day three? Okay, three, two, one. So what we uh, what was on day three? What was created on day three? And I had to. I was actually drawing a blank on this one. Maybe it's because the cats were are all on the table here in front of me, and I was trying to referee them, or maybe I just having trouble recalling. But I I, I struggled with day three. I had to go back to my. Uh, text and look that up otherwise I wouldn't have had anything to uh, say to you here on this one day three we had the creation of well first of all before anything was created on day three all the waters were gathered into one place so the dry ground could appear and that was what was called seas s-e-a-s seas then, 
after the waters of the earth were gathered into one place so the dry ground could appear. The next thing that happened on day three was the creation of seed-bearing uh, or, or plants on the ground that would uh, produce uh, vegetation and fruit-bearing trees that would produce fruit. And these fruit and vegetables that come from these plants and these trees would become food for people and animals, as we would discover later on in the creation week at the end of chapter 1. And then into chapter 2, we would learn that God created these for animals and people to consume. So that's what was created on day 3. Now, the next question is what was created on day four? That would be, okay, so what was created on day four? Three, two, one. What was created on day four was the sun, the moon, and the stars. We learned that they were given to give light on the earth, that they were given to be signs on the earth, they were given to... Uh, mark certain they were given a mark time so we could measure time they would be for days and years and they would be given to measure uh to the to the jewish people for to help to discern their their holidays that would be given to them or the holy days and they would uh of course then like i said i already said we would measure time that way by the having the sun the moon and the stars and that they would be, uh, they're given to glorify God. And we, I remember going back and looking at a couple of Psalms, in particular, Psalm 19.1, that the heavens declare the glory of God. And they are his handiwork. And so, that's another reason why these things were given, was to be um, part of the testimony of just the the awesome power and glory of God. Day five. What do I remember from day five? Okay, what, what happened on day five? Three, two, one. The uh, creation of, I believe the birds was on day five. Um... I I know that the, the, the sea teeming with living creatures was created on day five. Um, and God, because God created the great sea creatures and the sea monsters and told them to be fruitful and to multiply. And he blessed them for that particular purpose. Let me, uh, let me check myself on that one and, Make sure I didn't forget anything. We'll get anything incorrect about day five. So I'm going to go back to Genesis chapter one, which apparently I closed on my phone, even though I was not trying to. Then God said, let the waters swarm with fish and other life and let the skies be filled with birds of every kind. And so God created sea creatures. I was right. The birds and the sea creatures. Hot dog. I'm on a roll. No, I, that doesn't mean that God created hot dogs on day five. The hot dogs are very good. I just have to 
<coughs> throw that in there as a little side note. So forgive me for that. Um, if you don't like hot dogs, if you don't, uh, if you do like hot dogs, then don't forgive me because you're probably glad I mentioned them. But um, anyway, so now we're going to go on to day six. And what was created on day six? The land animals were created on day six. That would be cattle, creeping things, the wild animals, and all that. And most importantly, what I call the crown jewel of God's creation, humanity, male and female, was created on day six. And we were created special, unlike any other thing that God made in nature, including any other living thing. We are special in that we were created in the image of God. We were created in His likeness. We were created with uh, characteristics that are similar to His. We were created with the ability to communicate with God in a way that animals are not created with, at least as far as we know. Um, you know, animals were created with a body and a soul. Only man or humanity or mankind was created with the ability, male and female, only we were created with the ability, we, we were created as tripart beings. We were created with a body, with a soul, and with a spirit. Our body is our physical body, our flesh. Our soul is our mind, will, and emotions. Your brain is not your mind. I want to throw that in there. I don't think I talked about that much in Genesis 1, even though I intended to. Your brain is not your mind. When you die and your brain stays in your body, it doesn't mean that the soul didn't exist or that the soul didn't go to heaven. The soul is not the brain. The brain is just the organ in which, through which the soul functions. That's, a, that's something I used to struggle with a lot. And I really had to study that out. Is that the... Uh, because it, it really trips me up. It didn't seem... It didn't seem consistent with the Bible. That when we die, our brains stay behind in part of our bodies that are decaying. Or that somebody's brain could be taken out and studied. Or whatever. Or, you know, an autopsy. I thought, wait a minute, okay. If... By the way, for all you Baptists and Pentecostals and people who are opposed to alcohol, this was a cherry Dr. Pepper that I just opened, not a beer. And that's all I'm going to say about that. So, um, <laughs> by the way, I got nothing against Baptists and Pentecostals. Love you guys. I, I incorporate a lot of Baptist and Pentecostal theology and charismatic theology into my own, so... That wasn't an insult. I love all my brothers and sisters in Christ who are Baptists and uh, Pentecostal Charismatics, Word of Faith, and all that. But anyway, so what I was trying to say before I took that little side trip on what I'm drinking is that our brain and our mind, are, excuse me, our brain and our soul is not the same thing. The soul is the mind, the will, and the emotions. The brain is the organ, the physical organ that God has created through which our soul functions. 
when we die and our brain ceases to function, it does not mean that our soul ceases to function. Our soul does not die when we do. Soul sleep is not a biblical doctrine. The idea that the soul sleeps because the brain is dead until the resurrection. That is not, you know, Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When you, If you were to die in the next 30 seconds and you're a true follower of Christ, then you would be instantly in the presence of God even though your physical body goes into the ground or gets cremated or whatever. so And your brain would be part of that. So the brain is just the physical organ that God has given us through which the soul functions in this physical world. But when we die and our soul departs from our body, the soul continues to function apart from the brain. The brain is no longer needed. That's why an Alzheimer's patient, let's say an Alzheimer's patient forgets everything, including being saved, because their brain is deteriorating. Well, that doesn't mean they've lost their salvation all of a sudden. You know, if Ronald Reagan was a believer and a follower of Christ, when he got Alzheimer's, he didn't all of a sudden become an unbeliever just because he didn't couldn't remember his name or anything else. When he died, he departed from his body and went to be with the Lord. And I guarantee you he could remember a whole lot more post-Alzheimer's than he ever did on his best day of this earthly life before he ever got Alzheimer's. So the soul functions apart from the brain, but the brain is the physical organ given through which the soul functions in, um, in this physical world. That is how I differentiate the soul from the brain. And then you have the spirit. Now, my whole original point with this was that animals have a soul and a body. They have a, animals have a mind. It's not as advanced as ours, but still they have one. They have a will. You tell your cat no, and if they stand there looking at you, like, oh, what would you say? Even though, the, even though, if your cat knows what no means, and you tell them no, and they keep doing what they're supposed to be doing, they got a will, okay? So they have a mind, they have a will, and they have emotions. Animals can be happy. You come home after you've been away for a while and they're happy to see you. The tails are wagging. They lick your face. Uh, my cats do this too. It's not just dogs, cats. At least my cats do that also. So I guess I just have really special cats that actually care whether or not I'm alive. I know some people say they don't, but my cats do. So my cats are more special than yours are if they don't do that. And um, so anyway, yes, more special. That's my good talking English right there. Tell you what. Anyway, um, so animals have, I, I'm sorry, I keep getting sidetracked. Uh, ooh, squirrel. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, okay. Um, animals have a body and a soul. They have, fish, they have flesh, they have a physical body, and they have a soul. They have mind, will, and emotions. People are tripart beings. We're made in the image of God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We 
are the trinity of our body, our soul, and our spirit. Our spirit is that part of us that is spiritually dead because of the sinful nature that was passed on through Adam, as we're going to study in Genesis chapter 3, as the federal head of humanity. Um, that's what we're going to study in chapter 3, is the sinful nature that we all have. It makes us all born spiritually dead. When we sin, when, when we, sin we, are spirit, we become spiritually dead. And we remain spiritually dead. Everybody who is born without Christ, everybody who is walking around today without Christ is literally a dead man walking or a dead woman walking. They're spiritually dead. That's why they can't understand the things of God because the Bible says they are spiritually discerned. If you're talking spirit stuff to a person who isn't a believer, that you're, you're talking something they can't even get. Okay, they're, they're completely lost. That's what it means to be lost. They are dead in their sins, the Bible says. They're dead in their trespasses and sins. That's why the Holy Spirit is needed in the conversion process. The Holy Spirit, when somebody is, when you share the gospel with somebody and you have the Holy Spirit in you, the Holy Spirit is doing a work in that person, convicting that person of their sin and trying and trying to draw them to salvation in Christ. And then it's up to that individual person and a decision they make of their own free will after their spirit has, after that person's spirit when the holy spirit when God's holy spirit God the holy spirit comes and he starts convicting you of your sin. Then you have the ability because he's he's communicating with your spirit. God is the only one that can bring dead things back to life. So your spirit is dead. When God the Holy Spirit starts convicting you of your sin and convincing you of the truth of Christianity and God and the Bible through the preaching of a person, God is act God is essentially then activating your spirit and giving you the ability that you don't have otherwise to accept Christ or you can choose to reject that offer of salvation and remain dead in your sins You're, you can choose to remain spiritually dead and the Holy Spirit will not come to reside inside of you and make your spirit permanently alive So that's what happens with the salvation process. If the Holy Spirit was not actively involved in the cre in the salvation process, none of us would be saved. None of us would come to Christ because we're all spiritually dead. And the carnal mind or the mind that's, you know, apart from Christ is a, is an enemy of God through wicked works, the New Testament says. The natural mind is an enemy of God through wicked works. And then, let's say I go up to you and you're not saved, and I start to share the gospel with you. 
Now, the Holy Spirit in me then is activating your spirit as a unbeliever dead in your sins. He's activated your spirit. And he's given you the ability that you don't have naturally. You can't come, you can't just say, okay, I'm going to come to Jesus now. Uh, it doesn't work like that. If, if, if at any time in your life you ever considered becoming a Christian, any time in your life, I don't care what the circumstances were. I don't care if you heard a sermon being preached. I don't care if you read a book. I don't care if you read a movie. I don't read a movie. If you were watching a movie like I was when I got saved by watching Left Behind, the original one with Kirk Cameron, not that horrible nonsense that was done by Nicolas Cage in the remake. Um, but whenever you have that, when whenever that's going on, whenever you're... Whatever is drawing you to consider coming to Christ, that's the Holy Spirit. That can only happen as part of the Holy Spirit's work. Only the Holy Spirit can make that happen. So in that moment, the Holy Spirit is using that thing, whether that's me talking right now or somebody else that shared the gospel with you or whether it's a book or you know maybe you opened a Bible for the first time and read it. Whatever that is, it's the Holy Spirit that is using that thing or that person or that message to draw you to the Father, to try to get you to come to the Father through Jesus Christ. And we know from John 14, 6 that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. So when you're pondering coming to Christ, that is the Holy Spirit doing a supernatural work in you to try to draw you to the Father. You could not come to Christ. I could not come to Christ without the Holy Spirit doing that. That's why um, the Bible says that we, He loved us before we loved Him. And it talks about how He drew us to Him. Every person who's ever accepted Christ was drawn by the Holy Spirit. For that matter, everybody who's ever rejected Christ was being drawn by the Holy Spirit. And that's where we get into the whole thing about irresistible grace, and I don't believe it is irresistible. Um, so you can take that part of your tulip and do whatever you want with it. But uh, that's a theological jab, and those of us who understand that will get it. But, so everybody who's ever heard the gospel clearly and accurately presented and they have felt that little that tug in their heart that you know maybe I should repent of my sins come to Christ you know or or they start to reason you know gosh could this be true that's the holy spirit activated in their lives activating their spirit to give them the ability to choose to accept or reject Christ without the holy spirit's work you are spiritually dead you are hopelessly lost, and you could never recognize that of your own volition because that's how we are dead. You know, a dead person doesn't recognize anything. If you go to a dead person's funeral, you can punch them, you can kick them, you can spit on them, you can call them every name in the book, and they aren't going to rise out of the casket and come kick your butt. And they aren't going to give you a blank whooping that you deserve. I'm trying to keep it... G-rated here for the podcast. They're going to give you the blank whooping that you deserve for doing all that stuff. Um, because they're dead. They don't know what's going on. Their their soul and their spirit is 
one of two places, neither of which is earth, whether they're in heaven or hell, regardless of where they're at, the last thing they're concerned about is what you're saying to them down here on earth at their funeral. So a dead person's not going to rise out of their casket unless it's like the undertaker, but he's not really dead. But that's a WWE reference, sorry. But anyway, so you're not going to have... Um, you know, the dead person's not going to rise out of the casket and come kick your butt if you're insulting them, kicking them, spitting on them, whatever, because they're dead. You can't offend a dead person. If somebody stands up at their funeral and drags their name through the mud, they're not going to sit up in their casket and go, I can't believe you said that about me. You take that back right now. As a matter of fact, you go sit down and I'm going to stand up and give my own eulogy because you done messed this up. That's not going to happen. When you're when you're physically dead, you're physically dead until God resurrects you. Until God unites your body with your departed soul and spirit and gives you a new body that will last forever. That's what's going to happen at the future resurrection, at the rapture of the church. But in the meantime, that... Um, that body is dead it's unresponsive and it's the same way spiritually spiritually if you're listening to me right now and you're not a follower of christ if you're not a genuine believer you have lived your entire life dead in your sins you are you are actually dead you're alive physically but you are dead your soul is alive and your body is alive so in that sense you're an, you're like an animal so, I mean, I, I've said in the past, um, I've, I've said, people aren't animals, and, uh, you know, and, and I, I reject the fact that people are animals because they usually mean that in an evolutionary sense. And we've talked about in our study of Genesis 1 and 2 how evolution is neither scientifically nor biblically, uh, it doesn't hold water, it can't stand on its own two feet, it has to be supported through false evidence and lies and mistruths and whatever and deception but um the technically i guess we could say that in a sense people who aren't saved are like animals in a way because the only part of their being that is activated and actively working is their body because they're physically alive and their soul, which is their mind, will, and emotions. The carnal mind, as the Apostle Paul put it in the New Testament, or the sinful nature that's at war with God, that's active and alive. But the spirit, that part of you that it can only be activated by the Holy Spirit and can only remain permanently alive when you accept Christ and the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you permanently. That part remains dead. And so if you're not a believer right now, you know, you've lived your entire life spiritually dead. You're a dead person. You're physically alive, you're mentally alive, but you're spiritually dead. To God, you are dead. And um, I pray that through this study, if you're listening to this and you're not a believer, that he will make you spiritually alive. <clears throat> that's why it's important for all of us. <coughs> Excuse me. As I caught, choke on my Dr. Pepper. 
That's why it's incumbent upon all of us, or it's, that's why it's it's important. Or it's incumbent upon all of us, and important um, for all of us to pray to God for the salvation of other people, because Jesus, all authority in heaven and on earth, was given to Him, and He blessed us. The Holy Spirit came to live inside of us. He said, "What well, what you bind on earth, I will bind in heaven. What you loose on earth, what you loose on earth, I will loose in heaven." So, whose responsibility is it to pray for the salvation of those who are lost? It's our responsibility with the Holy Spirit living in us. What makes God move in our lives, whether it's for salvation, whether it's for the salvation of someone else, whether it's for God to lead us and give us wisdom, whether it's for God to supernaturally intervene in somebody's situation and heal them, or um, to sovereignly act in some way, whose responsibility is that? That's what prayer is all about. Prayer is how we, the prayers of people is the motivating factor that gets God to move. That's why prayer is so important. That's, that's not just a, 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 um, a nice little cliche to say, prayer is the most powerful thing you can do. It literally is the most powerful thing that you can do. So, man is, uh, body, soul, and spirit, animals are body and soul. Now, are, does that mean animals are going to be in heaven or not? That's a completely other study that I would be happy to do sometime, but not right now, because I've already got myself sidetracked, and we're still reviewing, um, gosh, we're still reviewing, uh, Day one, day one of this study here. So, now that we've reviewed the six days of creation, if someone who was not at all familiar with the Bible asked you, what is Genesis 1 all about? How would you answer them? And... Then your your answer would basically be the the theme of Genesis one. So somebody who doesn't know anything, what's Genesis one about? It's about God creating the universe in six twenty four hour days. Everything that we see, He created it perfectly with no problems, and He created human beings. Male and female only. There's not 57 genders. We're not, we don't have a gender spectrum where you can be a gazillion different things on any given day. There's two genders, male and female. If you don't like that, write the creator, P.O. Box Heaven. I'm sure he'll get back to you. Um, so anyway, um... But that's what Genesis 1 is about. The creation of the universe. Everything in it, it was created perfect and good. The creation of humanity. Uniquely and distinctly made in God's image. That is what Genesis 1 and 2 
or Genesis chapter 1, I should say, is all about. And what we learned about God from Genesis 1 is that he is creative. We learned of the vastness and the just the all-powerfulness he, he has, the, the amazing ability. I mean, he holds all this together. Not only did he make the heavens and the earth, uh, the entire universe and everything in it, but he is just so... He's completely distinct from his creation, and yet he's powerful enough to rule over all of it. And we we looked at how there was like there's one quintillion stars that we know about. That's one with um, twenty one zeros after it, uh, and those are just the stars that we know about. We don't know about the ones that we don't know about. Us, Kent Hovind likes to say. And so there's so much. I mean. Just that alone is enough to make you want to worship God forever and ever. But we learn about his creative process. We learn about why he made man and how uh, people were made not for their own self-actualization and not for their own, uh, just for self-pleasure. We were created and we get our most fulfillment from glorifying God and pleasing him. That is what we were created for. In much the same way that animals are here to, in, in a way, for our benefit. Whether it's for food, as we would see in later chapters in Genesis. At this point, though, we're still on a purely plant-based diet. But as we get later on in Genesis, in this particular section, as a matter of fact, we'll see how when animals are uh, permitted and can then be instituted into the human diet. Um provided they meet certain requirements. But, um, so, but that's what we learn from God, is just how much he loves us, the special care that he gives to humanity. Well, we, we just look at ourselves, we go to Psalm 8, what is man that you are mindful of him? And yet he's made us a little lower than himself, and given us the privilege, not just the authority, but the privilege of acting in his stead, of being the managers, the stewards of his creation. I mean, what a privilege and honor that is that he would even consider us for that, and yet that's why we were made. So that's what we learn about God from Genesis 1, just... Um, the order that he has, he's not a god of disorder, he's a god of order. He's very intelligent. He's, we're made in his image, so everything that we are that's good is a byproduct or a, a reflection of everything good in him to the infinite degree. That's how I would say that. From our study of Genesis 2, we learned many things. Then, as we went into Genesis 2, we learned that on the seventh day, God rested. Uh, that is called the Sabbath. And then we looked at uh, Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. And they talked about how um, it refers back to this creation week in Genesis 1 and 2 and shows that the reason God rested is so that it would be a pattern established throughout all time 
for humanity that we would have six days of work and one day of rest. And we talked about how Jewish people continue to honor the Sabbath, which is Friday evening to Saturday evening. And we, we learned how in the Bible a day begins in the evening and not in the, not in the morning. A day in God's sight begins in, at sundown. That's why the Sabbath begins at sundown on Friday and ends at sundown on Saturday because that's when a day starts and ends um, in the Bible. So that's uh, so we learned about that. We learned about the Sabbath and we learned about the creation week and the, the seventh day. Then we have, uh, we learn about the underground uh, chambers that were under the earth because there was no rain on the earth. Remember, we've got that water vapor canopy that is enveloping, that, that's part of the earth and would continue to be part of our atmosphere until Noah's flood about 1600 years after creation. There's about 1600 years from the creation of the heavens and the earth to Noah's flood. Noah's flood happened approximately 4,400 years ago. Uh, there's an exact year for that somewhere, but I didn't get the notes for that before I started. My bad. Um, anywho. So we learned about the subterranean chambers that are under the earth, under the ground, um, that were watering the earth uh, like a mist or uh, would come up from there and or stream or mist would come up and would water the ground it basically rained up from below the ground or the earth rather than raining down from the sky pre-flood and then that all changed of course beginning after the flood when the water came from above with that that water canopy that was around for so long it came down from above and came up from below when all this massive amounts of water that were contained in subterranean chambers under the earth, all that water was coming down and up at the same time and just completely drowned everything except for the people and the animals that were on the ark, which again we're going to get into starting in Genesis 6. But we learned about that the subterranean chambers there. Then, when we get into... Uh, then we... Um, we see that God breathed in. We learn that uh, Genesis chapter 2 is a zoomed in. Uh, I'm doing all this from memory, so if I, I keep doing my restarting my sentences, it's because I just thought of something else. But Genesis 2, um, I think at the beginning in verse 7, if I remember right, we get uh, God creating Adam and breathing into his nostrils the breath of life. Uh, man was actually created in Genesis 1. Genesis 1 is the zoomed out view of creation over the entire creation week. Genesis 2, God zooms in the focus on the most important day of creation when he made man, which was the only one that was made in his image. And so that's why he zooms in and gives that particular focus because that was God's most important it's when God's most important creation was made, which was a person, a human being. And then we have, we learned about the Garden of Eden and how uh, man's job was to 
working to keep it and to, you know, to manage it and take care of it. We learned about where the Garden of Eden was, which was in southern Mesopotamia or modern-day Iraq. Um, and we know that because of the geography. It talks about four rivers that flowed out of Eden. Uh, one of them, you see, we had the, the Pishon, the Gihon, the Tigris, and the Euphrates. And in particular with the Tigris and the Euphrates, we can kind of, we can look at that on a, a modern map and kind of pinpoint where the Garden of Eden was based on the geographical locations given in Genesis. I would also say that there are some people who believe that it's possible that, like the Euphrates and the Tigris, the current rivers that are named the Euphrates and Tigris could have gotten their names from other rivers before the fall of man or or even before the flood um, that were and those names were passed down in stories and then the modern Euphrates and Tigris were actually not the same rivers of that day. I don't subscribe to that theory. I I think you're you know, you're, you're outsmarting yourself. I'm not saying it's wrong. I mean, there's nothing in the Bible that says it's not true. I just, there's nothing, there's no evidence to support it. And with any theory, the burden of proof is on the one that is making it. So the Bible makes certain claims about itself. And that, and it says that the Tigris and the Euphrates are, were two of the four rivers that flowed out of Eden. So unless we come up, we come across some, you know, concrete evidence that would suggest otherwise, I think it's best that we go with what God's Word actually says. So we got that in Genesis 2. Then we all, then we got into uh, the one command that God, that God gave man. One thing he said, don't do this. He said, um, I've, uh, I've given you every tree of the garden to eat, but don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the day that you eat from it, you will certainly die. And it doesn't mean that the, you know, he didn't physically die that day, but he became spiritually dead. Remember that whole conversation? You might have thought I was getting off on a tangent, but I, I had a reason for that. When we talk about being spiritually dead and how, you know, sin makes you spiritually dead and you're a dead man walking, you're physically alive, your soul is alive, but your spirit is dead, on that for on that, that first sin that Adam and Eve did, which we're going to read about in Genesis 3 as we study this, um, we, we see that man spiritually died immediately. Then, eventually, now they, they had much longer lifespans in that time than we do. There's a number of reasons for that, from the fact that sin hadn't infected the human race and degraded it to the point that where you know it kind of messed with our DNA and all this, and, and then of course with the different conditions of the earth and the atmosphere and the firmament or the water canopy vapor that was over the earth, all of that contributed to these longer ages. But still, even though man was living 800, 900 years pre-flood, they still eventually died, just as we do now. We just happen to have much shorter lifespans now, and. Um, So, um, we got that in Genesis 2, where you see that God said 
So I'm, I'm running close on my hour time here. I try to keep all this under an hour, and I'm at almost 56 minutes. So we got four minutes. I'm going to try to do this here. Um, so God then said, uh, you can eat from every tree of the garden, but don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The day you eat from it, you will die. We learned that the tree of life, which is the, the tree that Adam and Eve would eat from, that would renew their bodies so that they would continue living forever. By the way, that tree is going to be in heaven and we'll be eating from that tree which will sustain our bodies eternally. Um, the tree of life will be in heaven and it'll be on the new earth um, in the new Jerusalem on you know, all throughout the city. And it's, it's another, anyway, it's, it's another study. But the tree of life, was next to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there were six characteristics I remember that I don't have time to go through them all, but there were six characteristics that we studied about the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, good and evil, and how remarkably similar they were. The one difference was the consequence. You eat one and you can live forever. You eat the other and you then are introduced to experiential knowledge of the inferior, which led, uh, well, we'll see what it leads to here in Genesis 3. Well, we have that instruction given to man in Genesis 2. And then we have, um, God says it's not good for man to be alone. And he brought all the animals to Adam, and Adam named them all, but he couldn't find a, a uh, yeah, we don't be pulling down the curtains. Oh my gosh. He said that, um, oh my gosh, don't do that, quit. Uh, God brought all the animals to Adam to see what he would call them, and that was his name. And he couldn't find a helper suitable for him, uh, which I can testify to by the fact that Gabby keeps trying to pull the curtains off the wall. And, uh, but anyway, um, so then a man fell into a deep sleep because God put him to sleep, and he... Uh, he made a woman from man's side, and that's where a woman gets her identity from, is from that, that marriage relationship with her husband, and from from the man. And then in Genesis uh, 2, you know, it says, and then we hear about marriage and how man is supposed to leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two become one flesh. And... Um, Gabby, do not pull on that curtain again. And um, there's no way I'm going to get this done within the hour because there's several more things that I want to cover here, and we're not even there yet. Um, so we're gonna. This is going to go over an hour, but this again, this is this is an this is a totally new introduction to this brand new section that we're studying, and so it's important to lay all this groundwork. So that we know the context of where we're going to be at with Genesis three, but then we so we then we have the marriage, and then the last verse in Genesis two says that the um, the man and the woman were both naked. Adam and Eve were both naked, and they felt no shame. There was nothing but coming between them. They were in complete unity with one another, which is what that is supposed to be. Emphasis on supposed to be. Now. We got 20 seconds until we, I switch to a new, until uh, we go on to the next track. So there's going to be a little pause here for a second, and then we're going to continue. 
And uh, so I won't say any more about this for now. we got five seconds until I continue, so I'll be back in a moment. Okay, I'm back, and now we are beginning uh, the next track of this episode. Uh, you didn't have to do anything to, to get there. You just had to wait. For what was for me about ten minutes and for you about one second. So... Anyway, there was a few more things I wanted to cover before we finished this episode, and I knew I wasn't going to be able to finish it within the hour. So, uh, what we learned about God, the next thing I wanted to discuss is what we learned about God in Genesis 2. And what we learned about God is, is that he, um, breathed his, uh, he breathed the breath of life into man, and that word there is the same word for spirit. That's where our spirit comes from. That's how, you know, as again, ties back to everything that I've been saying about how God is the one that makes us spiritually alive. And this was even true for Adam, because he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. It wasn't until he sinned that he became spiritually dead, when Adam's spirit died, and when Eve's spirit died, and then they pass that on to the rest of us. And then just as God will resurrect our physical bodies, He, in a sense, resurrects our spirit when the Holy Spirit comes and draws us to, sal to salvation and then you know, activates our spirit, makes it alive again. That's the only reason any of us are spiritually alive is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. So we learn that about God is that He is our source, our literal source for spiritual life and really all life, but our source for all life, especially spiritual life, comes directly from Him. He is the source of it all. When He takes, when that spirit leaves your body, it physically dies. And then, of course, because you're an eternal being, uh, you, unlike God, we aren't like God because He has existed forever. And there was a time when we did not exist. But like God, there will never be a time when we don't exist again. Does that make sense? I hope so. Good. Because if it doesn't, then you can't tell me. So you have to email me, wisdomonwheels83 at gmail.com. So there's that. Um... That's what we learn about God from uh, Genesis 2. Uh, again, we learned that he said that it's not good for man to be alone, which means he wants us to be in relationship and fellowship with each other and him. Uh, that's why the emphasis on going to church, by the way, is so emphasized. In Hebrews 10, it says we have a command in Hebrews 10 that says, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Uh, that is... Uh, that's why the church shutdowns were such a problem, because we are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We were made for fellowship and relationship, and we don't, we can't have that when we're isolated. Just as Adam was isolated, he was literally the only man on earth at one point. And so then God made him a companion, somebody who was made a, a helper suitable for him, and that was her purpose, to be a helper suitable for her husband, um, and we read in 1 Corinthians 11.3 how God, you know, man was made in God's image and woman was made in man's image. 
and both are in the image of God. Because Adam was in the image of God, therefore, because woman is in man's image, then by default, woman is made in God is made in God's image also. So we got that, um, and we learn uh, that's what kind of what we learn about God in Genesis two. Um, we learn, of course, Genesis chapter two verses eight through twenty-five took place in the Garden of Eden, and I already talked about that in some detail. Um, I went a little bit out of order with this study, but I already talked about just by going off on my own tangent there. I ended up going into the next section a little early, and so I'm not going to repeat all this. But Genesis chapter two verses eight through twenty-five takes place in the Garden of Eden, as does Genesis 3 also begin there, because Adam and Eve were still living there at that time, and that's a, you know in, in uh, modern-day Iraq, or what was then southern Mesopotamia. But we'll get into that as we move on in our study in subsequent days. Um, I already mentioned about what I uh, remember about the man and woman in this chapter, we learned we talked about the two trees already that were in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And I talked about the properties of both of those. And um, so then our last two things here, the first one says, if someone who was not at all familiar with the Bible asked you, what is Genesis 2 all about? I would answer that Genesis 1, I would, I'll, I would basically repeat what I said at the beginning of this episode, which was that Genesis 1 gives us a zoomed out view of the entire creation week. Genesis 1, 1 through chapter 2, verse 3 gives us a zoomed out view of the entire creation week. Genesis chapter 2, verse 4 through the end of chapter 2, which is verse 25, zooms in on day 6 because that's when God made his most special creation, which was man and woman, male and female, humanity, and gave us our responsibilities and the commandment of the one thing that we were not supposed to do, which, surprise, surprise, we did. Um, that's, so that's how I would answer that. The final question here for day one says, how would you summarize the theme of Genesis 2? I feel like I just did that. How is that different from giving the theme? I I just spent the last um, 15 minutes or so of the last segment summarizing Genesis 2. So that's how I would do that. Um, and so I already did that. So pretty much I guess we covered everything that we're supposed to for day one of Genesis uh, Genesis. Uh, chapter 3 through 11. So I hope this has been a great study for you. Um, I really think that whole thing, I wasn't even planning on doing this stuff. I didn't have any notes ahead of time about the difference between the soul and the brain and the role of the Holy Spirit in salvation. That was totally unplanned. I didn't have one single note for that. I did that completely from my own uh, knowledge and study so thank you god for that this is why you need to pray before you do any study because i uh, i truly believe that the whole reason why that was so good was because we prayed beforehand and god uh, blessed that and he 
really spoke through me to you from his word and so I and what I have learned from the study of his word. So thank you God for that. Let's take a moment and just thank him for this awesome day and this awesome study and I pray this has been such a blessing to you. Heavenly Father, I come before you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for for illuminating our understanding. Thank you for bringing to my mind the uh, stuff that I have stored away from the study of your word as relates to not only what we studied in Genesis 1 and 2 in today's review, but also what the unplanned things, I guess you had it all planned out, but the, uh, the, uh, I didn't have planned the discussion of the Holy Spirit's role in salvation and, um, how that really works and also, and how the Holy Spirit activates our spirit and makes it alive and how we're spiritually dead otherwise. And also the, um, the whole thing about the difference between the soul and the physical brain. Thank you, God, for not only helping me do that without any notes, but also um, thank you for allowing me and helping me to speak clearly in that. And um, so you're awesome, God. You're amazing. Uh, your creation is a... The heavens truly are your handiwork, and you are above and beyond anything we could ever imagine. So I thank you, God, for everything. Most of all, I thank you for saving me, and I thank you for being patient with me in my sin. And, uh, you know, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So thank you, Father, for not giving up on me. Thank you for not giving up on any of us when we sin. But you're continually always washing us clean when we have surrendered our lives to you and confessing our sin and to you. So thank you so much, Father. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Good to be with you all today. This second segment didn't last nearly as long as I thought it would because I didn't realize that I had already covered everything in the first segment or almost everything in the first segment that they wanted me to talk about in segment two. So we're ahead of the game and we're done for now. Thank you very much. God bless. I hope to uh, be with you all again tomorrow. Looking forward to it. Bye-bye.